Well, what, what David doesn't know is he doesn't have to butter you guys up. You guys are the easygoing service out here. Y'all, y'all the ones who are always here, ready to go. So how y'all doing this morning? Everybody good? Good. Glad to see y'all. So if, uh, if we've never had the, uh, the, the privilege of meeting, my name's Jeremy, and I serve as the campus pastor here at the Hills West Fort Worth. And, and if you're here for the first time, normally... Um, you, would, you would get to hear from one of our teaching pastors, Rick Ashley or Taylor Walling, but today you are stuck with me, and I'm so sorry about that. Oh, okay, I'll, t- I'll take that. Um, but seriously, I want you to make sure you come back next week if this is your first time, because we're in the midst of a really powerful uh, teaching series called The Way of King Jesus, and I don't want you to miss out, and so uh, make sure to come back. And, and in the midst of this series, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew Um, And today we're continuing in Matthew 6 as Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. But before we we dive in, I want to tell you about one thing that's happening this week. So on Wednesday night in this room, uh, we're going to have a celebration. We have an incredible partner, an organization called Academy 4, and uh, their mission is to provide mentors for every single fourth grader in some of the under-resourced schools in our city, and so we've been partnering with them for uh, about four years. We we provide mentors at Western Hills Elementary and also River Tree Academy, and the Lord is just doing some amazing things through this partnership, through this organization. So many of you have been mentors, and we want to just celebrate and thank God for what He's doing. But we also want to tell you about where we're headed, some things that are coming uh, next year specifically. And so this is a chance to come and celebrate. It's also a chance for you to come and learn. If you're new to the hills. Uh, Or if maybe you haven't ever dove into this and you want to learn more, this is a great chance for you to come and do that. You can scan that code and it'll take you right to where you need to go to RSVP, 6.30 in this room Wednesday night. So as as David mentioned, it's Family Worship Sunday. So we have kids in the room and kids, I want to ask you a question. So I need y'all, y'all paying attention up here, kiddos. How many of y'all, raise your hand if if you can say yes to this. Remember being taught how to pray. Anybody out there? Any of y'all? You remember being taught how? Yeah, okay. All right, how about adults? Any of y'all think back and remember what it was like being taught how to pray? I remember learning to pray when I was young. I remember um, in my family there were certain phrases that were kind of ingrained in us. And for whatever reason in our house, we were taught when you pray to address God, you say, Dear God. And so that was ingrained and ingrained, and I remember one night sitting down for dinner, and I was sitting, and the phone was hanging on the wall. Yeah, it used to do that, hang on the, hang on the wall. It was hanging right next to my head, and, and my dad had just asked me to pray, and the phone rings, and I instinctively grab it and hold it up to my ears and say, dear God. <laughs> and I sit there for a second, it's my dad's best friend on the other end of the line, and he goes, well, Jeremy, you can just call me Scott. And I heard another one about a six-year-old boy whose rendition of the Lord's Prayer concluded uh, with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email, to which they all said, amen, right? (laughs) Amen. So in Matthew 6, we see Jesus teaching his followers to pray. And if we want to know how to pray... As citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we need to pay attention to this prayer that he teaches. And if we want to know what prayer's role is in the kingdom of Jesus, then we need to pay attention to this prayer that Jesus teaches. So let's see what else Jesus has to say beginning 
in verse 9, Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So many of us have, have said and prayed these words many, many times throughout our lives. But I wonder how many times we've actually stopped down and paid attention to what they actually say. So I, I heard about a, a class of first graders at a private school where the tradition was to begin every day by reciting the Lord's Prayer. And after about a week of school with these new first graders, the teacher realized that the kids were saying, Our Father in heaven, how do you know our names? <laughs> and she figured out that when she first modeled the prayer, there was some disagreement about what she had said, and they resolved it themselves, and that's where they landed Maybe we are more like that than we realize. Maybe we say the words, whether it be the Lord's Prayer or other words that have become part of our regular prayer life, but we don't really know what we're saying anymore. Or it's become rote and stale. Maybe it's become routine instead of relationship. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And as we look at what Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us a prayer that touches every single corner of the kingdom, and it begins with the king. And as Jesus begins to pray, the first thing he teaches us to do is to acknowledge his greatness. And his greatness is shown in two parts that we have to hold in tension. The first part, the first thing that Jesus says is our Father. He could have picked any other phrase, any other title, but he said, our Father. And right away, there's something that we have to deal with. That word, Father. It has different connotations for each one of us, depending on our life experience. Personally, I was blessed with an amazing Father. And so making the connection to what Jesus says here isn't hard for me. And that may be true for a lot of you in this room as well, but there are some of you for whom that word is hard. Some followers of King Jesus spend most of their lives trying to wipe the face of their earthly father off of the face of their heavenly one. Perhaps you have a lot of hurt that's obstructing you from embracing the image of God as your heavenly Father. For some of us, this is really, really hard. But here's the thing. Your heavenly Father knows that. He knows how hard it is for you, and he invites you to bring all of that, all of that wounding, all of that pain, all of that mess, to him when you come to him in prayer. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And whatever the reason is that may be causing your hesitation or your inability to connect with God in this way, I can almost hear God saying to you, look at me, my child. 
I love you more than you can possibly imagine. And while your, your earthly father hurts you or disappointed you or is at a distance from you or didn't stay with you, I will never hurt you. I will never leave. You can trust me. I'm right here with you. And the best way for you to approach me is as a perfect father. And let me change for you the picture of what a good father looks like. Jesus' choice of the word father is so important. Because maybe you're like me. And you struggle at times with the disconnect that you can feel when you pray. That somehow maybe God is at times far off. That sometimes maybe he's distant or impersonal. But Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. And he uses a word that, that for us today would be like the word daddy. He wants us to know him and to love him like a child loves their father. Maybe a little like, like this. Nine-year-old Lucas Estorino thought he was sparring with his instructor when someone else stepped onto the mat. Keep your gloves up, Chip. Keep your hands up. That voice, that nickname, only his dad would know. Come on, Shib. Stopping Shib in his tracks. Come on. So there we go. Daddy? That one gets me every time I watch it. That young man hadn't seen his dad in a year. And man, that look on his face when he finally gets that blindfold off. He knows in his head that it's not possible for his dad to be right there. And yet he has just enough hope that he can't get that blindfold off fast enough. Maybe we need to take the blindfold off. And start to believe that God loves us like the adopted sons and daughters that we are. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You were chosen by him the creator of the universe. You can talk to God as a welcome and wanted child. Not only can you approach him that way, but he wants you to approach him that way. And then Jesus shows us the other side of this tension when he prays, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, kids in the room, that's kind of a weird word, right? Hallowed? Let's be real, adults, it's a little bit of a weird word too, right? But to hallow means to greatly honor or to treat as holy. So our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And we need to pause and acknowledge who it is that we're addressing. The great God who has no rival, he has no equal. There is no one like him. The un, 
created creator who has invited you and invited me to address him as father. He is both infinite and intimate. Jesus teaches that God is uniquely great because he is both our daddy and our creator. And approaching God in this tension helps us to better understand who we are and why we are here. This prayer reminds us of of who God is, but maybe even more importantly, who we are not. We are the created, and he is the creator. And yet, he wants us to call him father. We We can simultaneously approach the creator, the most powerful being in all of the universe, and we get to crawl up in his lap and call him daddy. As Jesus teaches us to pray, he reminds us of the access that he's given us by going to the cross on our behalf. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And we have to start there. You can't just skip over this part of the prayer. You have to start by acknowledging his greatness. Because if we just rush by this, then we'll be tempted to resist everything that follows. And according to Jesus, what follows is why we pray. And what King Jesus shows us next is that in kingdom prayers, we invite his rule. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So so often in our culture, prayer is looked at as a way of getting what I want, right? Of going to God for what I want. Want. But in reality, prayer is a way for us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And as we spend time with our Father, He has a way of helping us bend our wants to line up with His wants. Because kingdom prayer wants what God wants. Prayer is not convincing God that, that somehow my will should be done in heaven but rather declaring that his will should be done here on earth. We see this again modeled by Jesus right before he was arrested. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. Jesus is faced with the most excruciating death possible. He knows the plan. He knows what's coming, but he asks God, is there any other way? Could there be some other way forward? Is it possible that there's something else we could do besides me having to go through what I'm about to go through? And then he shows us what kingdom praying looks like, When he says, I want your will to be done, not mine. Father, you know how hard this is going to be. And you're asking me to do it anyway. I trust you. I trust you that there is no other way. And I will do whatever you ask. Because this is about your kingdom coming. 
This is about your kingdom breaking through here on earth. You see, this part of the Lord's Prayer is an admission of surrender. It's an admission that there is more than one kingdom that wants our allegiance. There's the kingdom of me that almost always gets in the way of the kingdom of Jesus. And we so desperately struggle with wanting things our way. Let me show you a quick video of my daughter, Hadley. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, it's this day our daily bread, and give it our your kingdom. No, I'm going to do it. A kingdom coming will be done, earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our daughters. <laughs> Good job. If you watch closely, you can see the cameraman shaking as he's struggling to uh, not laugh too hard. She's a mess. No, I'm going to do it, right? Many of us know the right words to say, right? We, we have the kingdom language down. Sometimes we just put it in our own order. We mix it all up. We act like we've surrendered, but the reality is we keep trying to go our own way. We, uh, we say we trust God, but we keep trying to grab control back. No, I want to do it. Jesus is teaching us that our kingdoms have to go. That we have the opportunity to live for something so much better than our own shaky kingdoms that are, that are deteriorating and crumbling with every day that passes, even when we're too blind to see it. We get to join God in bringing his eternal kingdom here on earth. Instead of prayer being a way to use God, Jesus is teaching us to ask God to use us. Use us to bring his kingdom here and now. Your will be done right here, right now, in my life and in the world around me. Total surrender total trust but it's also a way for us to push back when devastating brokenness shows up in the world around us like what we saw just this week when we feel completely at a loss completely helpless we pray your kingdom come lord on earth as it is in heaven because in heaven what jesus says goes. When we say, your kingdom come, we're really saying, God, I want you to be in charge down here as you are in heaven right now. I want what you say to be the final word in everything and for everyone because I trust you and your ways are higher than our ways. And we need you, Lord. And every time we pray for his kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven, we are pushing back the gates of hell and allowing heaven to break through. Every time we choose to live in ways that point to the kingdom of Jesus, we are broadcasting that a day is coming when everything will be made right, everything will be made new, and the one right and true king will step into the mess 
the chaos of this world and he will say, enough! That's enough! Enough death! Enough sorrow, enough sadness, enough disease, enough hurt. That's enough. And he'll take his rightful place on his throne. And this good king will reign forever. God is using us now to give glimpses of the coming kingdom of Jesus. And every time we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're reminded that we live in future tense. That we won't allow what is to keep us from praying for and living for what someday will be. God wants us to invite his rule. And then there's a third thing that we see as Jesus models this prayer, that we that we surrender your needs. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, it's a reminder of our full dependence on God for our provision, for all of our provision. We trust him for everything, for our physical needs, for our relational needs, and for our spiritual needs. So my question is, have any of us ever really had to ask God for our daily bread. In our, our Western culture, my, my guess is most of us would probably get pretty frustrated, maybe even angry, um, if, if we actually had to depend on him for what we were going to eat today. And yet we've prayed this many, many times. And when we pray it, what we might actually mean is, God, give me just enough that I can eat out whenever I want. Give me enough to be able to really enjoy life. Give me enough to store away so that I can have an okay retirement. Give me plenty so that I can have maybe a few toys and do some fun things every now and then. Yet what he says is, I want you to pray, give me what I need for today. Just get me through the day in full dependence on you, Lord. So Proverbs 30 verse 8 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Whatever you do, God, don't make me rich. I don't want to have everything. Because if I have too much, I'll be too secure, and I won't think I need you. I want to depend on you, Lord. And at the same time, don't, make me, don't let me be hungry so that I'd be tempted to steal and hurt your holy name. Jesus is teaching us full dependence on him for everything, for our physical nourishment, but also for our spiritual Nourishment. We know from Scripture that Jesus says man cannot live by bread alone. We trust God for physical bread, but also for the living bread that came down from heaven, that anyone who eats of it will live forever, as Jesus said in John 6. Trust God for today, 
Tomorrow will worry about itself. And then Jesus gets to maybe the most difficult part of the prayer. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What? Y'all, this is the part that I have wrestled with that I think we want to just maybe speed by sometimes. Like, forgive me the same way and to the same degree that I'm forgiving other people? Really? Like, is, that, is that really what it says? But then you go down to verses 14 and 15. It says, for if, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. If I'm being honest, man, that, that, that feels a little... Again, at attention from other things we hear in, in Scripture. Because on one hand, we know that forgiveness and grace is offered freely, right? We, there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. But on the other hand, we have places in Scripture like this that seem to communicate something a little, a little different. But there are other places in Scripture that help us maybe flesh this out a bit more, like Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And then Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. These give a little more full context of loving and forgiving others, not because somehow by doing so we're earning forgiveness from God, but rather because we know and we understand the love and the forgiveness that we both require and receive from God. And so we, in turn, offer it freely to others. Unforgiveness is a form of bondage. It is a grace killer. It's not that God won't offer you his grace, but rather that that you won't be fully able to receive it and live freely in it. If you're unable to release forgiveness for others, you'll have trouble experiencing the forgiveness that God has so freely given you. You'll be stuck in this constant cycle of trying to earn and perform your way into God's love. You'll have trouble living freely in the grace that you've been given. And if you've ever been stuck in that cycle, then you know how exhausting it can be. Jesus is helping to teach us how to mean it when we say that we're sorry and how to mean it when we offer forgiveness to others. I can remember as a kid, I have three sisters, and I know it's probably hard to believe, but there were plenty of times where I was mean to those sisters. And I can remember times where my dad or my mom would catch me in that and they would say, you need to go and apologize. And I would kind of, you know, slowly hang my head and walk in there and mumble, well, I'm sorry, and go on about my business, right? And I, I can remember distinctly my dad going, oh, no, 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 no. Pulling me aside and going, I want you to sit right here. And I want you to think about the way you treated your sister until you can go and apologize and really what? mean it and really 
mean it. And I, and I think that God is making us into people who mean it. Because we, we understand forgiveness since we've experienced real forgiveness and real grace undeservingly from our Heavenly Father who gives it to us freely. God has forgiven us, and as we learn to pray this way, He's making us into people who know how to forgive others in the same way. Not because they always deserve it, not because they've somehow earned it, but because our forgiveness puts God's grace and mercy and forgiveness on full display. Jesus said in John 13, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He is the model. We follow the lead of King Jesus. And the next thing King Jesus prays is, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead me. The assumption being that you've decided to follow him. In order for, for him to lead us not into temptation, we have to really be following him. We have to be living our lives submitted fully to the authority of King Jesus. So do you pray this, lead me not into temptation? Can you, can you pray it with a clean conscience? Because you can't ask not to be led into temptation if you're following the lead of things that are taking you there. That would be hypocritical, and that's a word we like to stay away from, right? And so what is it that leads you into temptation? Who is it that leads you in, into temptation? There are so many things that we allow to take the lead. Obvious things we could all list, but I, I think there's really a much more dangerous list of what really leads us there. Fear, isolation, insecurity, anger, resentment, jealousy, greed, selfish ambition, lies about ourselves and about others, false assumptions, loneliness, pride, the list goes on and on. A whole list of things that, that we grab onto that ultimately lead us into temptation. Instead of us being rooted firmly in our identities as sons and daughters of the king. Jesus himself knows a thing or two about temptation. He was tempted in every way. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not Sin. There is nothing that you or I face that he didn't face, and yet he did not sin. And in light of that, this is Jesus' invitation for us. Follow me. Not just like me, like we are so ingrained in doing on social media, right? Not accept me, not be a fan of mine, not just admire me. Follow me. He invites us to follow a better leader than the things we've been following most of our lives. To surrender to a better Lord. Drop everything. Stop where you're headed. Follow me. 
The path that leads you away from temptation is saying yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him. You either follow things that lead you into temptation and away from the way of King Jesus, or you surrender to King Jesus and follow a Lord that will not lead you astray. The reason we often lead ourselves into temptation, I think, is because we don't often think it's that dangerous. And then we get into a mess, and we ask God to deliver us from our own evil. It's quite a place that we end up in. But God is gracious, and he's good, and he's so patient with you and with me. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Even when we make our own mess, King Jesus never leaves us. He never abandons us. He's right there with us and he will deliver us. Deliver means to rescue, to snatch away from danger. We depend on Jesus for deliverance. We cannot deliver ourselves. And so we can't get ourselves out of the pits that we lead ourselves into. And we can't even ourselves figure out the overwhelming brokenness of the world around us. We try, but we can't do it. John 17, 15 Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. The evil one will come after us. And so Jesus is teaching us to confess our vulnerability and our need to be vigilant. We don't need to live in fear of the evil one. We need to be aware of the evil one. Don't be afraid. Be aware The broken world around us is showing us over and over and over again that it is not possible for us to deliver ourselves. And just as we learn to ask for daily bread for our physical needs, we need to learn to ask for daily deliverance for our spiritual ones. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're expressing our own weakness. We're expressing our need for a king to lead us in the face of the trials and the hardships and the difficulties of life. We're saying, Lord, by myself, I can't make it. By myself, I can't do it. I need you. And when you pray, but deliver us from the evil one, you declare your confidence in God's mighty power. The first half is our weakness. The second half is God's power. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So friends, what Jesus is teaching us to pray is life changing. What if this became your rhythm? What if we prayed this prayer every day, not just said the words, but prayed it and paid attention to what we were saying to our King? I want to challenge you for the next 30 days Start your day with the Lord's Prayer or set an alarm for for lunchtime and, and say the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has given us a way 
to say, God, you rule in heaven. And what it looks like up there is a lot different than how things look down here. And so we're asking you, God, bring your kingdom here. And if you're going to do that, it's going to have to start with me. I'm going to have to be the kind of person who brings glimpses of the kingdom everywhere I go. Full surrender, full dependence on you, Lord. Help me follow your lead, King Jesus. So I want us to conclude uh, by saying this prayer together. Would you all stand? And there's a part of it I haven't talked about. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I haven't talked about it because it's actually not in the passage. It was added in sometime later, but it's a beautiful way to, to, to conclude this prayer. So we're going to include that as we, as we say it together. So let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And God, we just declare how good you are. We declare that you are worthy of our trust. We need you, Lord. And so, Jesus, thank you for modeling for us a way to approach our Father that puts us in our place and you in your rightful place as well. Jesus, help us to depend on you for everything, to go to you for everything, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to live in the freedom that grace offers us. May we be beacons of your goodness and your grace and your mercy, bringing glimpses of the kingdom of Jesus everywhere we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So 